This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Sean. And with yeah. me, as always, is my co-host, Susie. Welcome, Susie. How's it going? What's up, everybody? I'm out in the she shed. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Warm enough to wear sh- uh, short sleeves out in the she shed, man. That's, That's right. Crazy. Well, I mean, I got my heater on. And ah, actually, I kind of got it down kind of low. But it's a nice, comfy 72 in here. So. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I uh, wanted to just first shout out uh, everybody and say, sorry, we uh, missed an episode last week. Uh, Susie and I both had crazy weeks and um, we're uh, both running around. I know Susie was doing more of her testing. So uh, I, I think most of that's behind you now, right? For I now. have one more to go. I had a second to last one on Friday, uh, Friday or no, wait, what day was it? No, Thursday afternoon. And I passed that one and I... <laughs> I was totally convinced that I did not pass that test. Like I got done with it and I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way I passed it. You know, got back out to the main room and she hands me the paper upside down. I take a look at it, put it down. I'm like, what? (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was a pleasant surprise. So yeah. Then uh, me and my husband had our, um, 
10-year dating anniversary. Uh, we were up in Galena, Illinois for the weekend. So nice little retreat. Nice, nice. Well, congrats on the passing your test and Thanks. 10 years dating anyway. That's a that's an accomplishment. That's a decade. Sure Heck yeah. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, it goes quick. So. It's, yeah, yeah. Feels like it's only been like maybe half that time. <laughs> well, um, tonight we have a very special guest. Um, I actually ran in uh, to this gentleman at uh, the uh, Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg. I was up there to catch a lot of the seminars um, on the big hog tank thing they have there, where you know they have the fish standing there, and the, the you know speakers get to stand up on the the hog trough and give talks about what uh, lots of different things and. Um, uh, this gentleman's um, talk was one of the ones that I found the most informative and he, he talked a lot about spinnerbaits and um, he's a guide on the Susquehanna. And I was like, oh, I got to get that guy on the show. So I approached him, uh, you know, after he got done with his talk and uh, you know, he was gracious enough to say, sure, I'll come on your show. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome John Steigler from Snaggler Baits. Welcome to the podcast, John. Hi, John. Hi, Susie. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for um, having know, uh, me on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on. It's definitely, you know, we love to pick people's brains. And um, I'm a little selfish uh, when I have a Susquehanna guide on the show because I uh, also fish the Susquehanna quite regularly. So anytime I can get more juice for the waters that I fish specifically, I'm like all about it. So very good. Yep. Yep, I we were, I was out today, so I fish it quite often. <laughs> I was just going to say I've been uh, kind of following along on your social media and kind of seeing that you've you've been having some pretty successful days. So uh, definitely yeah, this this see. is big fish time. We catch a lot of big fish this yep. time of year. Yeah, we had I think we had uh, three over nineteen today. Awesome. Cool. And you dismissed the muskie, right? Yeah, they were all saying we had a small, we had a, yep, they were all smallies. And uh, that's all we pretty much catch on the Susquehanna River. Um, you know, unless you get down to the impoundments down south, you know, the southern part, but it's pretty much all river smallmouth. And I always tell people it's like fishing uh, for fishing a great big trout stream for a very powerful smallmouth. You know, they have big tails on them. Our, our fish are genetically different than lake smallmouth. If you ever look at a river smallmouth, they have very big tails, which means they fight really hard. <laughs> uh, interesting. Definitely. So, and uh, um, well, John, let's, I wanted to give you a chance just to uh, let folks know, uh, you know, who you are, where you're from, how you got into fishing, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, what brought you to being a guide on the Susquehanna? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've been fishing in Susquehanna now for, well, I'm dating myself for 35 years. Uh, you know, I really got into the river smallmouth stuff. I was a big trout fisherman when I was younger, walked the creeks and, you know, and really like I tell people is that really kind of uh, set me up to be, you know, to start fishing this big river for smallmouth because, you know, you, you know, it's all about learning about current. And, uh, you know, so about, you know, mid, late nineties, I got really started getting into it. Um, you know, and, and my buddy from college, I actually went to school, uh, in Ohio state for fishery management initially. So that's why, I mean, I've always been into the fishery stuff. And, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to go r run home and get on my motorcycle and throw my fishing rod on that uh, carrier on my motorcycle and would ride down to the ponds or the, or the, um, the creeks down behind my house in northern, I grew up in northern Maryland, right below York in Maryland. 
And okay. uh, there's all kinds of trout streams everywhere, you know, just oh, everywhere yeah. we go. So, but really, it was about the mid 90s, uh, mid to late 90s. I started fishing with my previous college roommate who was big into the bass fishing. And that's when I really started uh, started doing the, you know, the river smallmouth stuff. I got my first jet boat in the late 90s. And uh, ever since then, I've been doing it. So I started uh, Snaggler Tackle in 2012 and started guiding at the same time. So this will be my thir- or 13th year. So uh, season out as a guide. I did it part time as I worked for uh, I worked in mental health for 20, just over 25 years um, and left my job a little over a year ago to start doing this full time. And uh, so far, so far, I'm still eating. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's success. <laughs> I was going to say that's the dream, right? I mean, exactly. So I, that's what I tell dream. people is I, I can't believe I'm being paid to fish. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it is, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not always an easy thing. It's very seasonal. You have to understand, you know, a lot of people think that they can just throw a boat out and start guiding. It's it's not like that. You know, you can be a great uh, angler. But, you know, angling isn't always all about the guiding, you know, guiding is about customer service. And for me, as I, you know, I grew up, you know, working in retail when I was younger, put myself through school. So I understood, I understand customer service and how to take care of my clients are my number one priorities. Not about me fishing is about not about my clients watching me fish. It is about them fishing and having their day. I have my days, you know, and that, that my fun fishing days are my days. The, the days that my clients are out, those are their days. They get 100% of my attention. Very cool. Very awesome. cool. And what led you to making your own baits and, and starting a tackle company? Well, I, a couple things came up. It's first of all, you know, I, I, I've always been very, um, you know, uh, able to do things with my hands. And, and, and I actually, I call it functional art. <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's especially cool. the spinner baits is oh, yeah. because, uh, you know, if you you look at some of my spinner baits, I actually take uh, my natural series where I actually take skirts, skirting material and lay it out on a picture of a of a, you know, bait fish and match that bait fish up exactly. Um, you know, so and, and the blade combinations and how I put things together is really trying to match that 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 hatch type of thing. So that's why I always call it functional art. So I kind of take some of my artistic side to uh, more of a uh, utilitarian side, you know. Uh, and, and so that's where I that's kind of where I started out with. The other part of it was, uh, quite frankly, I got tired of being ripped off by tackle shops, <laughs> you know. And it, it was getting worse and worse, and and it got to the point where I started making my own stuff, and then people wanted it. You know, so that's how it kind of grew was, you know, initially when I first started doing, you know, the spinnerbaits about, though, probably 15, 16 years ago, you know, I was doing it for just me. And then, oh, well, I want some, you know, and that's that's just kind of how it morphs into it. And because I was doing had a full time job, a family, you know, you know, you know, at that time. I really couldn't jump off to do it. And then, you know, as an empty nester now, then I, I've been able to jump off and do this. And and it's really kind of taken off. I'm going, I go around the country and speak about river smallmouth fishing. Um, you know, this year I was from Raleigh to Boston, out to Buffalo doing seminars, you know, and of course, Great American. That, that The Great American I've been doing for about eight years. 
Gotcha. Well, that one has to be nice because you don't have to travel far. <laughs> yeah, actually, I stay up there because it's such oh, a long you? day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those days are those nine days, and and I ended up getting real sick after the Great American this year. You know, and I always catch something. You just it's just inevitable. <laughs> yeah, you shake that <laughs> many hands, really you're gonna get you're gonna get the every. Journey. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I I got real sick after this one. I was down for almost two weeks. <laughs> wow. So, but yeah, it was, uh, and then, you know, as I said, it's just, uh, kind of keeps growing and growing and I'm, you know, people like you are having me on podcasts and, you know, and I just really enjoy talking about fishing and teaching, you know, it got to, with me was it got to the point where, uh, you know, catching fish was one thing, but what is your next level? You know, when you get to a certain point in, in anything and in any, you know, especially hobby or interest, you know, you get to a point where, okay, well, you know, you know, what's the next level? Some people go to the tournaments. Some people go to, you know, for me is I wanted to go to teach people. I wanted to show people how to do this because passing it on to the next generations is first of all, it's, hopefully there'll be somebody to take me when I'm 85 years old. And, and secondly is, is the more people who are out fishing will help uh, promote uh, water quality issues that we have, which are a significant issue across the entire country, but especially yes. the Susquehanna. So, uh, so th that's kind of where I that morphed into more than that. So I've worked with Fish and Boat on uh, collecting um, samples for their for the black spots. Yep. Um, you know, and working with uh, you know the Fish and Boat and their their uh, biologists over the years on some of the other issues that have come up. You know, uh, and really trying to advocate for our fisheries is is another thing. And you know, and working in mental health for all the years that I did, I understand how to advocate because when you work in a disability service you, you have to advocate because you know the squeaky wheel gets the money <laughs> right. right no and we 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 are great supporters of that here uh, we've had the susquehanna valley river keepers on um ted evangelistas has come on the show to talk about that and you know uh i i do uh a creek study with um the uh the alarm the, the alliance for aquatic uh, research so um definitely okay. uh, yeah. something near and dear to my heart as well but um very cool very cool well um i know uh when you were uh starting your talk about spinnerbaits uh you know you mentioned that you know it's one of your uh, uh well it's obviously what kind of got you started right is that the the kind of first bait that you really uh jumped into when you were producing baits or what why why are spinnerbaits like your specialty so, yeah, I mean, I've been fishing spinnerbaits even when I was a kid. I mean, and so it got to the point with the spinnerbaits that I just couldn't find the right one for what I wanted to do. And I started to think more about the engineering of it, you know, and uh, and so what I did was I actually, you know, my spinnerbaits were modeled of all the things that I like and all the spinnerbaits I ever fished into one, you know, and. You know, from then that's kind of what I did with them was, you know, that had, you know, and I'll go over some of it with the hidden weight, you know, the thin wire, you know, um, moving to different types of blades, which I like to use the turtlebacks blades on a lot of them, um, you know, something a little different, you know, and, and it's, you know, as I started doing it, there's a lot of engineering into it. You know, I was kind of surprised, you know, you think you could throw this blades on you know, wire and they'll work great. No, it's not. You know, there are a lot of things that you have to take into consideration and also material and things like that that changes the uh, dynamics of those baits. So, uh, 
you know, so, so it kind of, I kind of got into it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fit, I'm a fish nerd. <laughs> That's awesome. And you can tell, it. like, we'll, we'll go into the, what makes, you know, the snaggler tackle ones unique. Cause they are definitely very unique. And, you know, um, I was, uh, as soon as I saw them, I was a big fan and, um, but, um, you know, at, at your seminars, you talked a lot about how uh, spinner baits are good for beginning anglers, especially because you can do a lot of things with them. So, I uh, wanted to start out by just uh, kind of uh, asking when when do you uh, when is your uh, spinner bait your go to bait? Like what what conditions? What uh, when when is that what you pull out of your tackle box to tie on? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So it depends on time of year. You know, the one thing about the big, the big thing about a spinnerbait is, is a spinnerbait is a, uh, a search bait, meaning, you know, when you fish soft plastics, you usually have to fish them very slow. So you're fishing a very specific area. Um, a nice thing about a spinnerbait is it allows you to search large parts of the river, uh, especially when they start scattering out at certain times of the year. Um, you know, when the water comes down, those fish scatter and, uh, because really smallmouth don't like to be around each other. They're very aggressive. Um, you know, you know, they, they will kill each other. You know, if they're, if they're not in a specific place for a specific reason, they will kill each other. And so when they start scattering out and having a spinner bait, then you can actually, uh, uh, search bait, you know, search for those fish, especially when they start getting in the smaller eddies behind rocks, you know, behind laydowns. Um, you know, it really helps in that search bait uh, situation. The other thing is, is you know, uh, now granted, the spinnerbait is a pretty much a warm, warmer water bait. You know, they have to be chasing something uh, because it is a moving bait. It's not like a soft plastic where you can just drag it across the bottom and they're, they're you know, they can look at it. For, you know, like when I do my cold water speaking, you know, where they literally angle down on it like this, you know, on an angle and stare at it for long periods of time because they're waiting for the metabolism to kick in or they're waiting for some sort of natural uh, reaction to it where they're going to react to that bait. You know, a spinner bait is going to draw them to that because of the vibration and, uh, you know, with the blades. And, you know, and it, you know, so I start fishing the spinner bait usually around 50 degree, 50, 51 degrees in the springtime, you know, and I start with a, you know, a, a thin wire, something like this. Sorry, I'm trying to get used to the camera. <laughs> so something like this. This is my favorite uh, cold water spinner bait. This is a uh, Chartreuse Death Snag in the thin wire. It has a 30 gauge wire, so it's a very uh, pliable wire. So you get a nice wobble out of it. This is a slow roller. 
what you do with this is, you know, usually what I do is I'll put a, a grub on the back, you know, uh, always have your grub tail hanging down. Uh, if you look at a grub, it's, there's an up and a down. And then I also put a trailer hook on there. Uh, use a thing called a bait button to hold that trailer hook on there. And the reason is because we get a lot, you know, in the in, in when you're slow rolling them in the in the real cold, um, you know, and, and really a, a smallmouth's optimum temperature is 50 to 65. So at 50 degrees, that's at the low end of their optimum temperature where they become more aggressive and, and will chase stuff. But you're still going very slow, especially in the spring, because when the water's getting warm, it takes longer for them to acclimate to warmer water than it takes for them to acclimate to colder water. So in the fall, I can fish down to 39 degrees even for, oh. with a spinnerbait. Wow. So it's really, wow. there, there is some diff, there's some huge differences with spring and fall. So, um, and those are things that I've learned over the years, you know, of doing yeah. this. Gotcha. I, I wouldn't have never guessed that it would go as low as 39. That yeah. I mean, last, last November I pulled the spinnerbait and it was probably close to Thanksgiving and the water temperature was down to 39 degrees and I caught I think I we ended up with two twenties and four nineteens on that day. Wow. It was uh, it's a big fit. It's a you know spinnerbait is a big fish uh, lure. It really is. I catch a lot of big fish. Majority of my twenty inch fish come on spinnerbait every year, except for oh. during the real cold months when you know when we are jigging. But when in the, in the summer, you know, in the warmer months, you know, we're later in the spring and into summer, even summertime and into fall, most of my twenty inch fish come on spinnerbaits. Okay. Nice. So yeah. would you say, um, like, so you start, obviously, when the water temperature warms up to 50, would you, do you pretty much run it the whole way through to the fall then? Or is there a spot when it gets too hot and it, it kind of goes away? Well, usually, so I start with that, the one I showed you there, and that's that, uh, that you know, ha and you want to use a half ounce when the water's up, you know, as it starts, the water starts warming and clearing, you know, because, you know, in the spring we get the the runoff, and uh, you know, so it takes probably, you know, our water temperature gets into the 60s around May. You know, there, there is no calendar on this. Like this year, we're so far ahead that these fish are really in their mid-April to late-April pattern, and because it's been so warm. I've heard that about a lot of places this year. Is things are like ahead of schedule because of the warming trends we've had. Right. When we had no ice this year, which was very, that's an oh, unusual wow. thing. We had, we had a little bit of slush, you know, back in December when it got real cold for like two days, but we had no ice this year and, and ice is, it's going to be interesting this year when you have no ice, the grass beds get real big because the ice is what shears those grass beds back. Oh yeah. So it's going to be an interesting year and it depends on how warm it gets, but you know what? Things can change very quickly is, uh, you know, I've seen where June we get heavy rains and those grass beds don't grow. They got to have right. light. And so if they don't get the light and we get heavy, you know, high water in June, it'll knock those grass beds back. So it's every year is different. That's the one thing I like about yeah. river fishing is it's not like a lake where you have a lay down and that lay down is there and it's there for 20 years because nothing's ever going to happen to it. That river right. is constantly changing. After two, the flood of 2011, I saw islands that disappeared and islands that were formed from that high. I mean, it went up to close to 30 feet at Harrisburg. And uh, yeah, it normally runs like five feet. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a serious wow. flood, and it was uh, big time. But yep. it changed it changed all the island structure. It changed places that we caught fish. 
you know, we didn't catch fish there anymore. Places we didn't catch fish, we started catching fish there. That's how fast things change. And it really, you really have to be on your feet with the river fishing. Well, and then if like last year was um, like a super low year, like the, like the river was lower than I've ever seen it before for yeah. large parts of the summer, especially, you know, uh, when yeah, the, I've seen uh, it low. I've seen it lower. Like it got, I've seen it like lower. I mean, I've seen it like down to two eight, which is the lowest I've ever seen it. It got down to three feet this year. Um, you know, uh, but the, the thing about uh, this year was it was such a sustained low water. Like we right. had very little rain and it wasn't because we didn't, we actually got rain in our part, uh, our part of the Susquehanna. It was central New York had no rain last year. And that's where we get all our waters from central New York. So this like uh, I was up in Buffalo a couple weeks ago. They had a foot of snow up in uh, Corning and up up in central New York. Well, that dropped the river temperature when it all melted that one day. And it dropped the river temperature like five degrees. Right. <laughs> Even though it was beautiful here because all that snow melted up north, it changed it changed the river totally. You know, because yeah. it, it was actually warming up to the point where those fish were thinking about spawning. But then it knocked wow. it back because it got cold on. Well, and that's crazy that it, it yeah, it, it, um, the, that's the thing about the Susquehanna. It's such a large, uh, watershed that, you know, things that are happening states away from us affect our water. You know, it's, it's, and the same thing with Maryland, like they get all the, uh, unfortunately they always blame us cause they get a lot of the crap that, uh, we, uh, that flows downstream from us, you know, from all the, right. you know, the not so nice stuff, but, um, it is a very big ecosystem and, and it is interesting how it changes like that for sure. Well, it also changes even with the, uh, each of the rivers, because, you know, like I, like I explained in my seminars is sometimes we're fishing four different rivers at one time because it's such a large, I mean, it's a mile across. And, and so we got two major feeders up North that come together. Well, one comes out of central New York, which is all farmland. So that's a dirty one. And the other one comes out of the mountains of Pennsylvania. That's the clean one. So you actually have this convergence lines where the uh, the dirty water and the clean water will meet. So you'll actually you can go across the river and fish a totally different type of, of conditions. So it's 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 there's not a lot of rivers like that in 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 the world. Um, you know, and it's because it's a it's a it's a limestone river and one of the oldest uh, mountain chains in the in in on the earth and that's the Appalachian mountains so our earth, I think it is the oldest mountain chain uh, in, on the earth. You know, the new river is actually the oldest river in the world. <laughs> so it's like 300 million years old or something, I, but it's called the new river. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. But you can really see that in our river is, uh, you know, in the Susquehanna is because of the, it's, you know, the part that I fish, which is, you know, the central, that main stem up to Sunbury, that's all the Appalachian Ridge and Valley. So it's all limestone ridges. So we have a lot of lead, big limestone ledges. And the thing about limestone ledges is great habitat for crayfish and crayfish is the number one food source for the river smallmouth. One thing I noticed that was weird when I went upstate was that the ledges ran parallel to the river where down here in New York County, where I fish it, a lot of times the ledges run perpendicular. They, they run across the river. And, yes. Uh, yep. Um, I was like, it took me a little bit. I was so used to fishing 
perpendicular ledges when I went up and the current was actually flowing with the ledge. I was like, oh, this is weird. I got to figure out how I'm doing this here. It so, also gets hairy running because you can't see those ledges. Exactly. I call, we call them can openers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had a can opener or two in my life. <laughs> I'm glad I have good flotation in my boat because I have, you know, because I mean, I started fishing long before they had all these rock proof and, you know, all that UHMW. Snyder was the first one that came out with, with that. And he was actually back in the 90s, you know, uh, uh, Snyder Boats. But, uh, you know, back then we, we don't run, we never ran all that stuff. I mean, we just ran a regular aluminum hull. And, and actually when I first started fishing the Susquehanna, we were running nine nines props and we would tie a pitchfork on the bottom as our, as our rock guard. Yep. <laughs> I, I've actually, even, even for the kayak motors now, they make a guard that looks very much like a pitchfork. For yeah. Them. Yeah. We literally took a pitchfork, cut the handle off of it. And then we would bail, use bailing, uh, uh, wire and, and wire tie it to our, uh, to our lower unit so we wouldn't rip the lower unit off <laughs> so when it hit you know when it hit the you know a nine nine it would just pop up <laughs> hey whatever works right yeah, I mean, we didn't have jets at that time right. you know, this was probably back in the this was probably back in the late 80s <laughs> wow that's awesome yeah so but yeah i mean it, it things have changed a lot and the jets really started coming on about the mid 90s is when they started coming coming on so, um, you know, and, and now this is amazing. I mean, people are spending $80,000 for these jet boats now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've seen, and I've seen people blow through places where I'm like in my kayak and barely have enough water and they go flying by me. I'm like, wow. Oh yeah. Good yeah. I mean, you, I've but... seen, I've, I've, I've been on, I've, I've on all my friends. I don't have one. I, I still beat around in my old river rot, ride, you know, uh, and, but, uh, yeah, I mean, mine will run in four inches of water, those things there. And what happens with those, it's really interesting is, um, and we've learned this, is it literally, those those boats will push water in front of them, so it will create a dam. Okay. You will literally, okay. when you go over that shallow, like you go over a shallow bar, you literally will feel the boat come up and oh. go up oh, just a couple inches, because what it does is it pushes water over top of that real shallow part which then gives it enough water now what happens though is if you go too long you will run out of water because uh. you have to dam water up so <laughs> and some people and believe me when you beach one of those heavy boats good Ooh. luck trying to get a 3500 pound boat off of a off of you know there so <laughs> I've, I've heard people have to go out there with uh you know winches and everything else to try to winch <laughs> them off of, off of stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, but it, you know, you know that river can be a dangerous place. So, and, you know, it is it is not uh, it is not for a novice boat person. I've seen you know I, I've seen a lot more newer people out there, and and granted they have to learn, and you know we all kind of sometimes learn the hard way, you know. <laughs> and believe me, I've done my share of learning the hard way, and uh, you know, but you know I just want people to be careful out there. Remember, this is not a lake. This is this you know when you hit it when you hit a ledge, it is not going to move. Yeah, you're, right. yeah. you're not going to win that battle. Yeah. No, no. Like I tell my clients whenever they get stuck, I said, you have the whole world on the end of your line. And that's where the ledge is. It's a whole world. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't going to move. <laughs> so uh, I just want people to be careful out there and remember that, you know, even in even in any boat, you can, you know, I've heard some pretty horror stories of people get hurt in these boats. Oh, yeah. 
I well, even, even, even with kayakers, I know uh, the river can be a very dangerous place and you really oh, absolutely. Have to be I've had to careful. fish kayakers out over the years because they, they get out there in that high water and not realize how fast that current is. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then, you know, yeah, I've fished people out of the water many times, you know, I don't know how many times I've, I've talked to people and they're like, Hey, I was going to go out in the river this weekend. I'm like, uh, have you even checked the levels or anything, you know, cause it is, you're going to end up in maryland you know or you know if you make it you know it's right like, oh really yeah. you know, i didn't even think about that i'm like okay well I, and i'll show them you know i have the you know apps on my phone i know i noticed you have some of that stuff on your site too that's very cool that you have yeah yeah i have the, the 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 different river gauges on my site yes. because that's how critical understanding river gauges is to not just the kayakers to any of us right and totally. just just fishing i mean understanding you know because i go to different places based on those river gauges you know, and, and it's not all about, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm looking for cleaner water, you know, if we get high water events. So that's going to tell me where that cleaner water is. Right. So, well, so um, go ahead. And, and some of the other things that I, I mean, it's really become nice with their phones. You know, uh, that's another thing I didn't have when I first started doing this was we were at the will of Mother Nature. You know, if we wanted the if we wanted the river gauge, we had to call a number and we had to listen to every river gauge on the Susquehanna before we got to ours. <laughs> it was like, like listening to the process. old radio weather channel things. <laughs> right, exactly. the wilderness, you know? It was a half hour process. And uh, now our phones have made, you know, the technology we have now has made things so much nicer, so much easier, so much safer, too. I mean, yes. because now you. Now, when you're out, you can keep an eye out for thunderstorms. You know, I remember we we were we look at the sky and go, okay, well, where's that thunderstorm at? <laughs> Hopefully, we're close enough to shelter if we get a nasty one. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so but now now you know those phones are so uh, vital to what we do. Just not only for for uh, catching fish, but also for safety. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. So I'm looking over your uh, website here to see all the awesome things you have on here. And so I see you've got like different lines of spinnerbaits. You know, you've got standard wire, thin wire, river spinnerbaits. There's river thump. Yeah. There's booster. There's tyke. So uh, can you tell us more about like these different ones, like what their um, features are, when you would use them and whatnot? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so getting back to, you know, like I said, is I usually use the thin wire or the river thump in the in the dirtier water, you, you know, so because in dirty water, you want vibration. Vibration is what draws those fish to the bait in dirty water because of their lateral line. And, you know, that's, you know, basically how they hunt when they can't see but six inches in front of their face because they still have to eat, you know, and then so that's just the way they've they've learned now largemouth use their lateral line much more than smallmouth do because typically smallmouth are in cleaner uh water you know but because this river you know you go through clean spurts and dirty time you know and they they still have that lateral line so usually in the spring is why we're using those more thumpers because you have dealing with high dirtier water from the runoff of you know the spring rains and the and the, of course the snow melt as things start to warm up around may things start to get cleaner and the water starts dropping and like i said they start scattering out to other places uh usually in may they start heading to grass beds if the grass beds start coming up um you know grass humps they they really like in that time of year um you know or uh 
hard rock bottom. You know, they like the ledges, especially those that have spawned out. That's usually where they go is they hang out in those hard rock ledges because what they're doing is they're looking for easy meals. They don't want to have to. A lot of times those are not not real heavy currents, so they have to use a lot of energy because, um, you know, by by May and into June, we get into the June funk. You know, um, those fish are acclimating to out of their um, uh, normal range or their uh, optimum range of that 50 to 65 degrees. Now we're over 65 degrees and it takes them a couple weeks to acclimate to that. So you have that going on. You have the transition from, or you have the, po- the post-spawn going on, which means those females are really wore out. The males are wore out from uh, spawning and guarding nests. Um, and then the other thing is, is uh, you know, we, we have the crayfish spawn in June. So there's so much food in June, you know, and the, I always say that, that those fish get stinky in June because they're eating so much crayfish. They're warming up and they're literally, you can they get they they get a a real stinky almost like a rotten crawfish <laughs> smell to them in June because they're eating so much crawfish you know because the whole bottom is covered in crawfish in June. So uh, so that usually and then the, you know so at that time I'm starting to switch over to the booster. So as soon as that water gets real warm, that's when we start burn you know low clear waters when we start burning them. And that's when I'm using um, a uh, like a seven to one or eight to one bait caster on a six six medium heavy uh, uh, big daddy rod, and then um, I like the Corados, the Shimano Corados. I'm a big Shimano fan, so I'm not even sponsored by them, but it's hard to get a sponsor. So, but I, I still swear by them, you know. And uh, you know, usually we're burning those in the summertime. That low clear water, usually in the summertime, that's when we're uh, uh, we're really targeting those low light times you know that early morning usually you can you can catch spinnerbait fish or topwater fish all the way up until about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning then then they really shut down and that's when you have to go finesse them you know that's when we're throwing the jointed jerks and some of the other things that i make cool um and i know um I wanted to ask you about like line, you run straight fluorocarbon, you uh, do fluoroliters, you know, or mono. Is there a time when you switch up? No, I'm pretty much a mono guy. I pretty much all throw mono year round. I used to throw braid a lot, but what I was finding with braid was I was losing a lot of fish. I'd get them hooked up. And I think because braid didn't have any give, it would rip the, the lures out of their mouths. They hit them with such force. And I like the mono because you can load it up. You know, uh, now when you're when you're fishing, you know, that slow roll, I always tell people is don't set the hook like you're setting a jig where you're, you're setting straight up. You want to sweep that hook into their mouth. So you're almost doing like a side sweep because and it, it, it allows that hook to get into the corner. Usually catch them in the corner of their mouths and you know, on a spinner bait. Uh, now, when they're really burning, you know, when we're burning in the low water in the low clear water in the summertime, those fish, you don't even have to set the hook. I mean, they hit it that hard. They ripped the rod out of your hand half the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's really cool in the summertime because uh, you fish in such clear, low water. You can actually see them chase the bait in the air sometimes, you know, where you'll look and you'll see out of the corner of your eye, you'll see a black, big black spot chasing that bait. And you'll make two cranks on it and that fish will be on it, you know, and that's because they're only in, you know, a lot of times you're catching them out of six inches to a foot of water because they, you know, in the summertime, they like that low, uh, low current 
water. So they, they don't like that. Uh, you know, the smaller fish will go, the bigger fish like that really uh, heavy current and real low water. The smaller fish will go to the deeper pools. So we know I, I've, I've definitely, fish. I've definitely seen them wake behind it too. You know, like you just see them coming and yeah. Yeah. They're like cool. torpedoes. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing about when you catch fish in low water in real low shallow water like that, they have nowhere to go, but up. <laughs> <laughs> So you get a lot, you get a lot of the acrobats and they're doing the you know, triple flips and, you know, it's, it's, it's really a fun time to catch them, but it's really that low light period that you have to catch them on spinnerbait, unless you get a cloudy day and then you can, and you can do it. Now, what I have found over the years, sometimes if you go to a black spinnerbait in that heavy sunlight that you can actually continue to catch them at times, depends gotcha. on how aggressive they are. You know, the, it's a real hot water that they're not as aggressive, you know, they don't like that. The, the hot water is more, it's harder on them than the cold water. Right. And um, uh, what kind of action rod are you usually throwing? Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, I know with a single bait, uh, single bait hook, a lot of times a moderate uh, rod isn't what you really want for that. You want something a little stiffer than that, right? Yeah, I throw a medium heavy. Okay. I, I throw a six, six medium heavy uh, I, with a fast tip, not an extra fast. fat, but a fat. Well, and the fast tip allows you to throw it because in the summertime, you're throwing a three eighth ounce spinnerbait all day, you know, and uh, it allows you to throw that three eighth ounce spinnerbait really far. And you have to be able to do that in the clear water because, you know, if you can see those fish, they can see you. Right. And, right. And so that and I really don't switch. Mm -hmm. I mean, even my slow rollers. Now, what I do is I back off on the uh, real ratio down to like a six two to one. Now in the summertime, I throw a seven, two to eight, one to one, you know, uh, but in, you know, when you're slow rolling, I like that six, two to one. Cool. Cool. Okay. And, um, I know, uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, the different blades that you prefer the turtle. Do you have examples of those that you, we can show just to talk yeah, about, actually, a little bit you about have the turtle one? I forgot to get the turtle one out of okay. my shop. That... That's that... yep. So those are called the, uh, what well, they're called turtle backs. Uh, they're also known as a wide willow or also known as an Oklahoma blade. Uh, but we've always called them turtlebacks because if you look at them, they look like a turtleback, <laughs> a turtle's back. So um, they're unique in the fact that they're kind of in between an Indiana and a, and a willow. So you get the thump out of them. The other thing that I do is I use a, um, a gold plated blade only gold plated, silver plated, copper plated. And the reason is, is because nickel and brass are actually lighter. And so you get a bigger thump out of a gold-plated blade than you do out of a, a brass-plated blade, a brass lacquer-plated blade. So you, you can actually feel the difference in the thump. And so, it, you know, and in smallmouth, they like really, and especially north, any of the northern fish like more of a compact um, style spinnerbait because that's mostly what we have up here. We don't have the big shad like they do down in the south. You know, and, and so most of what they're feeding on are, are smaller baits, you know, so they're used to seeing that smaller bait, but you want to get that big thump out of it, you know, and, and having that different, that gold plated blade or silver plated blade really makes a difference. Okay. And then I, and then, then I also use, like I said, it's the thin wire. So that one there actually has three beads. I actually set the, uh, oops, I actually set the wires up with different bead ratios because like this one with the double willows and the willow is what this is. I'm sorry. <laughs> Moving things around. <laughs> That's a willow blade, you know? And so because of the willow blades, you have to extend them out a little bit further. So they, so you get the right, um, they, 
it's almost like you get a, a like a trough and if you get that in that trough then the other blade won't turn so you have to give it room to give that resistance it's almost like a jet wash hmm. so uh so and those are you know the bigger ones are for the thin wires like this and then in, in the summertime we throw uh the booster which is this one and that ha actually has a smaller willow blade and this has a stiffer wire because when you're burning them you want that wire to be stiffer because you're not attracting those fish on vibration anymore you're attracting those fish on sight because you're fishing shallow clear water so that's when you move to more natural colors you know away from like a chartreuse color to where like this one here is the upper snag this is very sim this is very similar to a uh, um, to an emerald shiner, which is one of the primary uh, shiners we have out in the the Susquehanna. So you can see that. So yep, yep. And that's when they're really feeding on sight. So you're not worrying as much about the vibration. So you downsize your blades. You want you want the flash, not so much the vibration. Right, and and um, when it's clear water, then you that's when you're aiming more towards the the more natural patterns right and then correct um, at what point when it when is like chartreuse I, I know like i've heard lots of different things in muddy water i've heard black is good because the silhouette is good but i've correct. also heard um bright like white or chartreuse is okay too like what's your what's your thoughts on that you know in dirtier water i like the chartreuses i actually that's why the chartreuse death slag works so well is because it actually chartreuse and black in it gotcha and so this is my favorite dirty water color. And remember is you're not attracting these fish with the color. You're attracting them with the blade. Yeah. Right. And so the color is really about them seeing that, at, you know, whether it's six inches or a foot or a foot and a half or two feet clarity. So it's really just to get them to see that there's something there that's attached to that vibration. Once they get close enough to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and it's more of that reaction, you know, and it's interesting is that chartreuse and black color that I have there with the, uh, that seems to be a, a really, really good dirty water color. I mean, I catch a lot of fish in dirty water. And then, you know, like I said, is uh, no, no law in fishing is not meant to be broken, <laughs> you know, so uh, because there's really no laws in fishing, you know, you know, and I always tell people is don't let me tell you how to catch the fish. Let the fish tell you how to catch the fish. You know, I can get off ideas, you know, but ultimately is if you're not catching fish off my ideas, try something different. And, uh, you know, and so a lot of people say, God, you have so many different colors. And, and I, and my response back is I don't just sell the one river, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so right. I, I'm an equal opportunity, uh, businessman. I'm willing to sell across the country. I get people who buy stuff in Texas and Arizona and California and it's really, you know, the internet has become uh, kind of the mom, the new mom and pop store, you know, mm -hmm. that has replaced the bricks and mortar. I don't have a bricks and mortar store, and uh, because I don't want to sit in a store, I'd rather go fish, and I'll take care of your order when I get home. <laughs> there you go. So, so I got a I got a question about, um, you know, the way some spinner baits are sort of designed and like their length. For example, like I've got this one here. And when you look at it, the blade, this back blade goes beyond like the back hook there. And then this one, the blade is like right there along with the hook. So 
I guess what would be advantages to having sort of those longer arms versus like so the the longer arm? arms first of all is you want to make sure you have a uh, trailer hook on. You know, the other thing is a longer arm is is a with a grub, then you have that blade further back. You know, so if you if you're if you're adding a grub to it or some sort of trailer to it besides the skirt, that longer that longer blade is going to make it, you know, the 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 it's the vibration is gonna match up to the to the bait, if, if that makes any okay. sense. So sure. when you and for yeah, me is like, I, 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 I like a big grubs. <laughs> right. And so if you put big grubs on like this one here, the blade is a little bit past. But once again, is with my thin wire is oh, sorry, I've got to look to see where I'm at. <laughs> but with my thin wire, um, I actually change the skirting on it. Some like the booster is a much thinner skirt than the thin wires, much fuller skirt because you want that flaring of, uh, you know, that, that hot, bigger profile in the dirtier water. So there is, you know, some some logic behind some of that. If 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 the person making the spinner baits is thinking about it, you know. Now some of these companies, unfortunately, have gone to, uh, you know, the people who don't who own the company don't even fish, you know. <laughs> so right. unfortunately, the industry has got, you know, it's like anything else. Is once money plays into it, then you get a different group of people. And a lot of the a lot of the original founders of some of these bait companies, you know, who started like I did in the basement, you know, in the garage. You know, those companies have been yeah. sold to big holding companies because they've grown so much and they've become very profitable, um, you know. But then that takes away some of the, you know, the original founders who built it on their passion. Because those people who bought some of these companies, they have no passion for the industry. It is just about money for them. Right. Yeah. They only know how to run the business. They don't know how to make the business in a sense, right. you know. Right. Yeah. And, no, and, and they, they the rely on the pros, yeah. you know, they try to rely on the pros and things like that. But the thing, you know, with them is, you know, it was a lot of them is they're, they're trying to make money. So they're not sharing all their information. And, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the industry has changed a lot, and, but you're seeing a lot more um, because of the internet, you're seeing a lot more people like me who are just, you know, the guy building in their basement and they, you know, suddenly they, you know, they, supply their whole club and now they're supplying a whole bunch of, you know, and that's, that's really where the innovation comes out of. Yes. Right. You know, right. It's well, and, and, and just, you, you know, you talking about the reason why, you know, well, uh, talk a little bit about the weight on yours. Cause I know that is something very specific to yours. Um, yeah. So mine's, mine's a hidden weight. Now I have, I do have, so the good example, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to capture this real good on a phone camera. So this is a. Here, let me make you bigger here. Yeah, let me see if I can. There you go. So the gold one in my, in this hand that I'm shaking, that's a full size spinner bait. That's a half ounce spinner bait. So the one in my left is the one I've been showing you, and that's a hidden head. So that's a half ounce spinner bait, but it's a smaller profile, and the reason is because the weight's in the back of the back of the blade. Instead of this one, the weight's in the front. See, there's no weight in the back of this one. Oh, sorry, I'm horrible at this. Uh, yeah, it takes a lot of practice. <laughs> it does. Well, it's not the camera's over to the, my left, and I'm trying to. But you see how the this one has no weight in the back. It's all in the in the head. It's all forward, yeah. Right, it's all forward. So mine are a hidden hidden weight, so that way the weight's in the back, so that creates a much smaller profile. 
So that's a, they're both half ounce. And, you know, I throw a lot of half ounce when the water's up like, like it is right now. Right. So, right. And again, um, that, th that 30 gauge wire is so important for the uh, wobble. Helps it. Yeah. Flex. And yeah. right. Um, I was going to ask you when, when do you go um, trailer like a grub and when do you go just skirt? So, when you burn them in the in the summertime, you just do no grub. Is I, I call it fish it fishing it naked. You know, nothing on it, no trailer hook, no nothing, because they're really sight fishing. You really want that real small, compact, uh, you know, uh, style for the because that's really matching what the majority of the bait fish are out in our river. Most, you know, our our river is mostly full of black nosed dace, um, you know, emerald shiners, gold shiners. Most of them are like three inches long uh you know they're not real big but in the you know in in the colder water where you're trying to attract those fish through vibration you want a little bit more profile bigger profile that's when i add that grub also with the grub is what it does it creates a different vibration so now you have two you have the blades creating one vibration but that grub is actually creating a vibration just off that plastic and i like to use like a, a, a i make a real good twister tail grub that I use on that, like a four inch or even up to a five inch, you know, it's when it's real cold and really slowing it down. I'll throw that five inch grub on there. R real big one. Like you fish, Susie, the real big, real big grub. <laughs> real big grub. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good one that I got on. This oh yeah. One. That's a good one. That's a big yeah. one. That's and a, I know uh, you talked a little bit about in your, in your, uh, in your uh, seminars about putting the grub on upside down or like, so the tail is down. Yeah. Right? I have this. I don't have this. Is one of my river darters, but it's basically like a grub. Let's see here. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have, see how that tails down? That's the way you want to make sure that that spinner bait is. Because if you put the tail up, it's going to interfere with your, uh, with your trailer hook. But if it's down, it's always going to be below your trailer hook and not interfere with your trailer hook. And your trailer hook's not going to interfere with your grub. Okay. So every time you do a grub, you do a trailer hook for the most part? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. I mean, and that's per personal preference. What I do find is that I, you know, especially when you're slow rolling, it's I catch a lot of fish on that trailer hook where you just have, and sometimes you'll catch them right here, you know, because they're swiping at it. Because if it's real dirty, they don't see, you know, they they have better sight than we do. But ultimately, is they still have to deal with uh, depth perception, and dirty water affects that depth perception. Right. Right. So they're going more off the, the, the thump and the vibration there to locate right. them and then just trying to hit it when they, kind when of they see, see it. it. Yeah. And it might only be six inches away. Right. But as soon as they get up on it that close, they're, they're swiping at it. And then having that trailer hook on the back really gives you that added, you know, stinger. Cool. Cool. Well, um, one of the other things I was curious about, and you mentioned, a little, obviously, we talked about slow rolling, was what other retrieves, uh, I, you know, burning it? And are you popping? Are you adding any? Or is it like a straight retrieve, just varying the speed? Or um, what, what's your thoughts on that? And I, I, I do, like, again, as I always let the fish tell me, right, right. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I do the rule of three. If I catch three fish on a certain type of retrieve, that's going to be my retrieve, <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, when, when you I, I do a lot of what we call fluttering of the blades and fluttering of the blades is not done with your rod. It's done with your reel. And and so, you know, a lot of people want to jerk the rod. It's yeah, it's it's more that quick, fast, stop, keep it going. 
And when when you have that high speed reel, you can really flutter at even you know because when when you're fishing the high speed, you only want to be like that far below the surface, almost to a wake bait. But you can flutter that at that that fast speed with those high speed reels and still be able to keep it up at the top of the water column. So it's it, but it's it's really about you know when I'm slow rolling, I'm just going thump 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 thump. I'm not really doing much of that because I'm really trying to draw those fish in off that constant thumping. You know, almost like a bait fish is kind of going along on its you know daily business, not really paying attention, is swimming along, and then they get eaten. You know, <laughs> <laughs> makes it an easy target. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it's a doggy dog world out there. <laughs> well, that makes sense. And then when you're burning it in the summer, when you're in that six inches or shallow water, then you're you're trying to keep it up, and um, you know, and that's where you you know you mix in those fluttering those flutters. Gotcha. And I use a lot of hammer blades on my uh, summertime colors. I like that, the hammered, which is, let's see here, down. Yeah. See how that, they have uh, the dimples in them. And right. the hammer blades are nice for two reasons. First of all is, have you ever seen a fish that had just a solid sheen to it? You know, bait fish? Hammer right. blades give it, hammer blades gives it depth, you know, or contrast. You know, and and you know, same with hologram. I'll use hologram in this, especially in this in the bright sun. Hologram works really well in the bright sun, and it's really because it's it's more natural looking. What it comes down to is when you're fishing real clean, clear water, you got to make it look natural. Because if not, they're going to look at it and say, oh, "I know what that is." You know, that's not something I'm going to eat. Yeah, right, right. No, especially when it's clear and yeah, you got to you know be a little bit better at fooling them. So correct. Uh, well, um, as we're kind of closing out spinnerbaits here, I, um, I know I wanted to get a, give you a chance to talk about some of the other things that you've been, that's been working for you, you know, some of your other, uh, you know, good sellers and stuff. Um, last question for spinnerbaits, unless Susie, you have anything else. I was just going to ask, you know, you know, obviously when you're guiding, what's one of the most common things you see people doing wrong with spinnerbaits and how do you correct that? Uh, you know, the biggest thing with the guide trips is I have, you know, I, I take a lot of people with different skill level. And so <clears throat> I always tailor my trips to what the person's skill level is. And the reason you do that is with a spinnerbait is it, you know, spinnerbait fishing is not for uh, people who are just starting out. The big reason is, is because you really have to understand, you really have to throw a bait caster. Uh, bait caster, you have more control over you. Uh, a lot of times, you know, especially when we're <clears throat> back drifting, um, you know, small eddies, you got to be able to cast right up to the shore. Sometimes they're nosed up on the shore and that bait caster allows you to have that, uh, accuracy. The other thing is, is, you know, in the summertime, you know, most of your bait, most of your spinning rods are not high speed reels. And even if they are high speed, you're only talking about a six to one, you know, you really get wore out trying to burn spinner, spinner baits on a, on a spinning rod. Right. So, there are times, you know, that's one of the reasons why I sell the Tyke, which is a eighth ounce, it's a quarter ounce spinner bait. That's a good spinner, uh, spinning rod spinner bait because that's nice and light. You can throw that, you know, and not have to try to keep the same um, uh, speed up to be able to keep it up high in the water column. And so that's why I, I put those into uh, people's hands who can't throw the bait casters. So really the the whole key to spinnerbait fishing is really learning how to throw that bait caster and that's what i always tell people is go out in the backyard learn how to do it there don't try to learn on the water you're just going to get frustrated 
I don't know how many people said, tell me as I bought a bait caster, you know, I took it out in the water and all I did was bird nested and I just put it in the basement and never touched it again. <laughs> you don't want to have that happen because it, it, we've all been through it. We all had to learn how to do it, you know, yeah. and, and doing it in the backyard doesn't mess up your day of fishing, you know, right. and, and especially when people only have limited time to be able to get out there. No, for sure. That's exactly how I learned. I, I started taking it out with me whenever I grilled. And so as I was waiting, you know, watching my stuff grill, I'd just stand right there and just cast and cast repeatedly until I, you know, got it to where, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still, I would say I'm still not an expert. I still prefer spinning gear for right. most of the things, but, uh, um, I have, I've gotten proficient enough that, uh, I don't backlash and it, it's, I can have productive times on the water with it. So, and I'm spending time and in my seminars, a lot of times I'll show people how to set up their bait casters and how to, uh, tune them to be able to make it uh, that you won't have as many backlashes when you first start to learn. But the thing about that is you can't cast it as far. far. Right. So, uh, you know, and I always tell people it's all about your thumb. <laughs> it's all about that thumb. I don't care what right. kind of braking system you have. You can buy the $500 model. Ultimately it's about your thumb. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, just a kind of like a random question I was thinking of. So, you know, being a guide and whatnot, uh, first part of the question is, A, have you ever uh, been on a guided trip before where none of your clients have caught fish? And if so, what have you done to make it a still think. a good experience for them? I'm just curious, you know? I don't know. All my clients caught fish last year. I can say that for sure. Um, and actually about three quarters of them caught at least one 19 inch fish. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it was, I am trying to think if I've ever, I'm, I might've, I've never had both clients not catch fish. I might've had one client not catch fish, uh -huh. but again, it, you know, I'm, I get back to, uh, guiding is not all about catching fish. And right. so, you know, a lot of times as I start talking about the history of the river, I start talking about the water quality issues that we're running into. I really try to feel my clients out about what they like to talk about and what they what they're interested in. You know, that's the other thing is, is I have a large you know, variety of type of people who go out with me. So, you know, you can't you know, you don't get involved in politics. You don't get involved in the <laughs> hot button stuff that can turn people off. Right. Um, because yeah. ultimately is I'm not here to sell politics. I'm here to sell guide trips and lures, you know, <laughs> right. you know, so I really talk more about like lures and fishing and, you know, and, you know, we try to have a good time and laugh and things like that. But I mean, I think last year, I think our worst day last year was eight fish, you know, so now I had, we had three, I had three with a nine year old. So that was in the middle of summer. That was the worst one that, so, but I mean, he still caught, he still caught, he still caught two fish on his own, which I mean, he caught two of the, two of the three fish. So he, he, he had a blast and his grandfather's getting them back out again this year, um, awesome. you know, in the spring. So, uh, and I really like taking kids cause that's our next generation that we need to, we need to get them involved, you know, get them, get right. them off the screens. <laughs> that's right. Well, um, I know, uh, we, we mentioned, um, you know, I, I've been seeing you catch on soft plastics. What are some uh, soft plastics that are working for you? You know, some of, you know, that, you, uh, what, what would you say is your best seller soft plastic wise? Uh, well, tube is our best set, my best seller by far. Okay. And that's this whole thing. Hopefully it's not too. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tube. 
Now there's two different sizes. I sell two different sizes. I sell a, uh, let me see here. This one here is a three and a half and this one's a two and three quarters. Now the two and three quarters is the primary one we use on the Susquehanna. The, the teaser tube, which is the, the smaller one, because most of our crayfish are about this size. What I can tell you is uh, when you get down south, you know, on the New River, um, I got, you know, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of customers. I sponsor a guide down there. They like the three and a half down there. But I mean, I almost throw the strictly the, the uh, two and three quarters. The other one this year that's doing real well, catching a lot of fish on is the, uh, the little crawl dad, which you can fish on the, uh, on the Ned head. So, and I actually fish it on a, what they call a, an offset Ned. Yep. So it's just like a Texas rig. That's so almost you, uh, a needed uh, rig on the Susquehanna with all the rods. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing you do is you just put the hook through a little bit like that. And then you're going to run it the whole way down into that offset. And you want it to sit in that offset like this. And then you run that, run the hook back through the bait and then bury the hook into the bait. And then it's going to sit straight up like that. Yep. And so, see it's, so it's a weedless presentation. This is a floating bait, so it floats straight up. It's going to float that Ned rig, that vertical presentation. Your tube, you're going to put in an off. You're going to put in a tube insert, which looks like this. <laughs> Trying to get used to where the camera is. It's not in the middle of the screen. You're getting it. You're getting yeah. It. <laughs> so you put that inside the tube. And you just push the whole insert all the way up to the very end of the tube. And then you push the eyelet through. And then this is going to be your horizontal presentation. So you have one that goes down and it bounces down the river this way. And the other one goes down the river like that. So those are two big things. Today I was catching them on the, uh, the river darter which is a new bait. It's a, almost like a grub type of bait, but you fish them on a Ned head. And uh, today the bigger fish came on this. And this, what this is, we have a lot of darters in our river. There's like, like 17 or 19 different species of them. The main one is a green banded darter. These are uh, in the perch family. So when it's, when the water's real cold, they're actually moving around a lot more than your shiners and chat and shiners in your bases are. Gotcha. So that's why we fish those in the colder water. And do you also fish those on the offset net or are those more I, like a straight net? I prefer the straight net, you know, like this. Okay. Yep. I with the, with the, the shank with the, um, uh, the keeper on it and you just, yeah. and you just run it on there the whole way down. Not like I haven't done this a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, you're going to fish it just like that. I use eight pound mono. Okay. Uh, you can also use braid with a fluorocarbon leader. You know, that is a very sensitive way. The reason I use the mono is because we, we break so many off. You know, when you start messing with leaders and you're constantly tying leaders on with the, with the, um, with the braid. The one thing about braid is it is much better for uh, real, real cold water when we're out fishing in the, in the mid thirties, when the water temperature is in the mid thirties and even down to 32 um, because you get that, you know, they, they really mush mouth it in, in the cold water. And, uh, you know, so, uh, that, that braid is more sensitive. You do feel better on that. So, but I, you know, I pretty much, I, I've become so accustomed to it. I just fish straight mono year round. 
Gotcha. The, okay. the other thing that we've been catching fish on is this new little thing called spider spider scrubs. Oh, look at that. So this has like little tendrils. Yep. And we put that on a Ned head just like this. And then we'll run the whole way down and then we'll take something like this, which is a uh, what I call the river flapper and it has this it's a spade tail. Usually take off about a little bit off the top. And then you run it on there. And sometimes I'll cut that spade tail and make it a twin tail. And then that fishes just like that. Wow. And that's a spider grub. Now, do you fish like the color combination like that? Or do yeah, you actually, I like, yeah, I like that, that uh, June crawl. That, the June crawl is a real good color in the, uh, which is that June bug skirt with a uh, green pumpkin uh, 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 river flapper. And sometimes what I'll do is like this has an orange head on it. A lot of these crayfish will have orange to them. So if you add an orange head to it and you can add and sometimes they'll have blue. A blue skirt would also work real well. And then um, add the blue to it and then the green pumpkin. And now you've matched exactly that crawfish color without having to get a multicolor bait. Nice. So, well, I'll tell you one thing there. You know, if you're looking to fish something different, there's not a lot out that looks like that. Right. No, no. So, yeah, we, we fished these years ago. There was a company, uh, the Cabin Creek used to make them years ago. But they, they, I think they're out of business. I haven't seen them really around much anymore. Gotcha. So that, that's an old style. So that's a very old style that kind of went out of style. And then now is back in. You know, I'm trying to bring it back to say, hey, listen, you know, this this was we, we did know what we were doing many years ago. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and a lot of it, I mean, I, and the, the variation to that I'm seeing is those micro jigs. You know, yes. which are using the, the they're using the yes. silicon strands on on mm -hmm. a well. This these have been around forever with the uh, with the the plastic, the soft plastic uh, skirting. So mm -hmm. very supple baits. I use a very I use a medium soft blend that I have specially made by a company down in Texas uh, because you want you know these small baits you want very very soft supple plastic, mm -hmm. but you want it durable enough. Like today, I mean, I I think I caught like five fish off of one of these, you know, oh, nice. before I had to change it out. So it does. I mean, the Susquehanna just eats lures up anyways. Usually, oh. usually you break it off long before that lure gets <laughs> unusable. <laughs> yeah. You've got a lot of different colors of them on here too. I'm like, Ooh, man, I might oh, have yeah. to get me some of these for Dale hollow. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I'd love to get, is that where you fish at Dale hollow? Well, well, we're heading down there uh, for our meetup here in uh, uh, in the middle of April 22nd. And the end of April, yep, oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm actually located out in central Illinois. So uh, I do have a river uh, nearby. It's a dirty river-ish in a sense because, um, you know, a lot of where I'm around is farmland and whatnot. But um, I'm nearby what's called the Mackinac River, and yep. they're known for – smallies and whatnot so i'm definitely wanting to hit it up sometime season and you're probably not too far away from the upper mississippi area in the st croix that's a really really good place to fish that's yeah that's uh that's quite a bit further up north for me um okay i'm if you're familiar with like the peoria bloomington area of illinois it's almost like smack dab in the middle we're like mm -hmm. you know and a half hours from Chicago, two and a half hours from St. Louis. It's like, you know, darn right near in the middle. So we have a lot of. <laughs> yeah, you're probably, I get a lot of customers. Stuff. I get a lot of customers from Missouri 
you know, in, in northern Arkansas because they fish those. They fish. There's a lot of river smallmouth in those areas. Yep. 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 But so, they're yeah, just not big. I, in those I don't think they're. I don't think their creeks and their rivers are big enough to run jet boats. So I think they're doing a lot of kayaking. No. And, no yeah. <laughs> That's the good thing. Well, <laughs> That was the weirdest hey, thing for me when I started this was that I would talk to someone like Susie about river fishing. And in my mind, I'm picturing the Susquehanna, not realizing in her mind, the river that she's fishing is nowhere near a mile wide, you know? Yeah. You can cast across it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's crazy. And, and, and it, uh, I think I, I, my old co-host Ryan was the first one who said, he's like, well, when you think of river, what are you thinking about? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm thinking about the Susquehanna a mile wide. He's like, dude, there's not even a section that's 300 yards wide, you know, on the yeah. widest part of my river. And I was like, oh man. And it hit me. I was like, holy cow. I'm, you know, we're definitely not talking apples to apples there at that point. No, right. no, there's not I mean, a lot of apples have, to that Susquehanna. No. <laughs> yeah. We do have the Illinois river which it does get really wide it'll get like a mile wide every now and then but like no but you don't want to fish the illinois river it's it's a gross river and there's asian <laughs> carp in there and just yeah, yeah i've not had good experience in there so i just yeah <laughs> it's like the ohio river same way it's a big mm -hmm. yeah, it's a big muddy river they have dredged it so much and and, and the Ohio River is, uh, you know, you have the main channel, but once you get off the main channel, they've dredged it so much. They have these great big dredge bars the whole way down the sides where, you know, it'll be super shallow off the channel and then then it'll drop back off on the shoreline. But it's just, it's muddy and yeah, totally different. Uh, yeah, we, we, we're we're fortunate to have the Susquehanna. And, and once again, is we don't have the lakes like, you know, you guys do or down south. So we. You know, we don't have lake fishing, um, you know, very, very few places where we can have an unlimited horsepower boat on uh, in Pennsylvania, in this part of Pennsylvania. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, they, they do limit the horsepowers on all the lakes in Illinois, except for. I'll lake do that. Michigan. Really? Okay. Yes. Yes, they do. Um, and with exception, I think maybe to maybe one or two others, but I know like my local uh area banner i think they're only limited to is it 25 horsepower i can't I that's can't a lot lot of ours are yeah 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 that or trolling motor yeah. only we have a lot of trolling yep. motor only lakes yep which One those the, are, uh, well, aren't so bad for the kayakers but you know <laughs> no those are no, yeah, we no. have uh with one preserve which uh, is trolling motor or you can't even have the uh, gas-powered motor on the boat. Oh wow! This place, yeah, yeah. It, but I mean, it's it's awesome. It's not as awesome as it used to be. We used to be able to go out there and catch, you know, 50, 60 fish, no problem. And now it's you can't even get like a quarter of that anymore. It seems so. But you know, I go well, out there yeah, in the spring and I still catch my fish. <laughs> Pollutions are our biggest problem. I don't care what anybody says. You know, they, we can talk about all the invasive species and the birds and this and that. Ultimately, is pollution is our biggest problem, and it is not just in any part of the country. It is the entire country. Yeah, yep. and and we've seen that on the Susquehanna. We've seen big fish kills. Um, we had one in two thousand nine. Was a big one. We believe that we had one uh, about three years ago. We had two years of high water. 
and it really put a hurting on those fish. And they're trying to, they're trying to decide, they're trying to figure out how detrimental these black spots are to the, these fish. You know, uh, now they have figured out what they are in on the Susquehanna. It's actually a papilloma virus. Oh. Yeah, it, it, a lot of people were talking about some sort of cancer. I mean, we've heard all kinds of stuff, but uh, what I've heard from National, they actually put a paper out two falls ago. And uh, what they've determined that it is a papilloma virus, which is why it spreads. They can't figure out why it only shows up in cold water. And they can't figure out how detrimental it is to the fish yet. But I, I'm pretty sure that it's detrimental to the fish. And now the reason why we think we had a big fish kill and all, all the guides, we talk about it. We always talk about, you know, the, the waning, you know, the ups and the downs of the river, you know, because we've mm-hmm. seen them, we've seen, we've seen the feast and the famine, believe me, it's been, right. and yeah. uh, we, we're all pretty sure we had a fish kill in night in 1819 when we had that two years of high water. So it's, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of it has to do with this, it's all pollution related. I mean, um, the other, the, I mean, we are, like I tell people is like, we're dealing with uh, what I think is another big problem is our invasive species of the flatheads. And uh, the flatheads have the problem with the flatheads is they've kind of taken over the wintering holes. And so when they're when it's real cold, those flatheads are in there just eating on smallmouth all winter in those big wintering holes. And they're very limited wintering holes we have because, uh-huh. you know, usually they're looking for anywhere from eight to 20 feet. And there's not a lot of places on that river. There's eight to 20 feet of water. So they, you know, so oh, they're. Wow. And so that's, you know, those are the things, but I always go back to, that's just another tipping point of the problems we're having with our, with our fisheries. It's not the sole reason the right. the biggest thing we have to deal with is pollution. Right. Yep, 100%. And farm pollution is probably the biggest thing. That oh we, yeah. Farm runoff and everything. Yeah. And then yeah. Sean, was it you that did like the microplastic yep. thing where like you would like just scoop something in the water and you know, a certain percentage it was microplastic. Oh I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can't even. I mean, even the baits we throw. I mean, yeah, honestly, yeah. because yeah, the plat, the soft plastics, like they, they don't break necess- down. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually one of the things I would want to work on is a biodegradable bait. Nice. So I'm actually working with a friend of mine who's a chemical engineer, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna start working on maybe coming up with some sort. Of, we, uh, the problem is, is how do you come up with a biodegradable bait that that you can you can use and it doesn't degrade on you right away yeah so it's almost like you have to create almost like uh you know like a pill that is the extended release type of situation <laughs> where yeah. you know for so long it's it'll be encapsulated in something that's going to be able to to deal with it but as soon as it, it's been in the water for so long then it, then that caplet will degrade you yeah. know and then that way and then it's uh some sort of plant base or or you know, protein-based matter, you know, that it's not plastic. I mean, plastic is petroleum. Yeah. I mean, that's just a real, that's just a reality. I know that. I mean, but what do you do about it right now? I'm not going to stop fishing. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you you got to imagine around the world, you know, how many millions, trillions of pounds of plastic is being used for what? You know, I mean, you're... you're oh, everything. Everything, you know? Yeah. So it's just like... Yeah, you can't really change that overnight in a sense. Well, the other thing we were having problems with was the intersects. uh, And that was being created by um, uh, what they think is that it's um, two two things that they think uh, is steroids being used in animal farms. 
you know, from the from the pollution from that, and also the uh, birth control from the waste uh, municipal waste plants. So all hmm. the women on birth control go through the municipal waste plants, but they do not take that those hormones out of the system. That is not a considered a toxic. Yeah. Huh. So they don't have to remove the hormones, you know, the, the, the birth control hormones, the estrogen out of the system. So it just goes into our water. So they actually did a lot of studies on above above sewer plants and below sewer plants and how much hormones are in the water. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's there's some interesting things out there to read, you know, I, not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> not on Facebook. <laughs> right. And I mean, you can only imagine that's just one like little thing in the grand scheme of things, you know. I mean, you think about all these places that have, you know, water discharge things, yeah. you know. I mean, there's anything from you know, food processing plant to, you know, medical waste. Oh, absolutely. Well, just look what happened over in Philadelphia this week. They had a uh, discharge from a chemical plant that did uh, some sort of latex. And they may have to, they may have to go to a, uh, not a boil water, no drinking water for the city of Philadelphia because it discharged into the Delaware River where they draw most of their water from. Oh, yeah, it's been it's yeah. been on the national international news because, you know, of, of this, you know, so, yeah, I have, uh, you know, I should probably look that up. I, I tend to stay away from news outlets and stuff like that just because sometimes it's really depressing. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, especially like the environmental stuff. And then like the um, that uh, train derailment in um, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Like, the rivers that it affected and like, yeah. you know, how you really haven't heard too much about it bigger wise. And you're just like, I wonder how much they're trying to like cover up and hide. Well, I know I, initially they were like, Oh, nothing, nothing bad happened. And now there's, it's starting to come out. Okay. Yeah. There's, you know, been. Fish oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's my biggest fear is uh, they run, uh, you know, that, that rail line that runs up the Juniata is one of the busiest rail lines in the country. And they run, they run, uh, two to three oil trains that come through there and they're they're two or three miles long yeah and that's one of my my biggest fears is if that derails on that juniata river it will kill that river oh yeah you know and so the you know and i watch that you know i watch the stuff that happened in ohio and then it happened again in springfield ohio and i think to myself i'm just waiting for that to happen on our river and it right. will kill that river and oh, yeah. it'll kill my livelihood you right. know so yeah. You know, that that's where I always go into, you know, like I'll go into commissioner's meetings like local, you know, I'm working in, for county government. I know a lot of the people and I'll I'll tell them is what right does a farmer have to pollute the water that I live off of, right. you know, and, and why did they get to do that? And I'm supposed to be quiet about it. No, I'm not going to be quiet about it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. And then, you know, yeah, the river keepers do a great job of addressing that, too, you know, and, and holding yeah, Ted does a real good job. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Mike Michael Helfrich did not excellent job for many many years. I knew Michael for many years, you know, before he became the mayor of York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're getting on. We're well past an hour here, but uh, uh, John, I wanted to give you a chance to shout out um, where folks can find you, um, both website and social media, both for guide uh, guide trips and also for uh, uh, picking up your spinner baits and soft plastics and stuff. Okay. Yeah. You can, uh, you can purchase everything on www.snaglertackle.com. 
if you have any questions, you can do, do a contact me or you can email me at snagglertackle at outlook.com. And uh, you can also contact me through that email um, for a guided trip. Now, I'm uh, for the spring, uh, unfortunately, I'm down to like three dates. <laughs> so I'm pretty well booked. That's a good problem. That's to a have, good but... problem. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Um, I'm not, I don't encourage people to come in late June. Like I said, they get into the funk. So I, I hate to take people when it's tough fishing. I'm not going to take people's money if I already know it's going to be tough. Um, you know, summertime fishing, I don't, you know, don't do a lot just because it gets so hot out there and low it just tears my equipment up so the next time to really get out there and fish is in that fall that october right. i call it fishtober in november <laughs> nice so and, um, uh, how about social media where uh you have much social media presence yeah i have uh, on instagram snaggler tackle and facebook snaggler tackle okay nice. awesome well, um, I will make sure I put links to um, all of that in the show notes as well um, so that uh, anybody who's listening um, doesn't have time to, you know, hop on their phone right now or their the Internet. Uh, definitely check out the show notes for links to all that. And um, anybody else you want to give a shout out to or uh, anything else that you wanted to cover? Uh, no, I, well, I want to thank all my sponsored guides. Uh, you know, they do a great job of promoting this stuff. And, you know, I'm not a big social media person. I'm too busy making baits and fishing, <laughs> you know, so I'm not a big on screens. And, uh, but I, I do appreciate all them. I, you know, and the customers that I have, you know, I really, uh, you know, for me to, you know, send me pictures or paste, you know, post things on social media. I do, I do see that stuff. And, uh, I really like when I see things that i made or catching fish and and you know making people successful on the water so um that other than that no so i want to thank you for having me today you know yeah no problem glad to have you i'm i am looking forward to trying out these spinnerbaits um out on the river um you know a couple more weeks i'm now i'm I'm gonna. I was just gonna say I'm gonna be watching that water temperature. I, I was just out on Juniata. Uh, will be first. The Juniata is okay. usually the the first place you catch spinnerbait fish. Usually where I catch first, unless I don't fish it a lot. Gotcha. That we, one we have a uh, we have a kayak anglers of Central PA tournament on the Juniata coming up here. So uh, I I will definitely have to break that out when we go up there. So yeah, when is that? Do you know about? Uh, I'd have to, uh, I don't even know. I, let me see. Uh, it's, I, I almost want to say that's one of our last events. Um, hold on a second. Um, <clears throat> last year, um, the junior out event is when I caught my biggest, I caught a 21 inch on a black crankbait in about nice. six inches of water nice. last year. So that's a good uh, one. Let's, yeah, no, I, so, and everybody else is like, oh, the Juniata is tough. And I was like, I do, I, I love it. And the I Juniata was judging... had some of the biggest fish out there out of the, of the three, six pound smallmouth I've caught out of that river, two of them coming out of the Juniata. Okay. Um, and, and then I was also judging that, uh, that tournament as well. So, um, I didn't even get to fish it that much. Um, let's see. Juniata is September 9th. It is our last event. Oh, okay. So. You'll be burning spinner baits. Get the burner. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> Definitely will... get the burner. Southside slammer. We caught probably, I don't know, uh, last year probably over a thousand fish on that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Jeez. Yeah. Our best day on the south side was about 75 in a day. 
Holy cow. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And that was it. That was early October. That was early October when I had Ken Trail for him. He's a guide on the New River. Okay. Up, he was up. He was up. That was just a fun fishing week. Week, oh, uh, a couple days. He had to come up for a couple days, get his boat worked on up here. And uh, we fished for two days. We caught uh, a little over 120 fish in uh, just under two days. Wow. <laughs> wow. So we, I think he had a he had a twenty. I think we had maybe I think it was somewhere around ten or twelve nineteen inch fish in two days. That's crazy. And wow. we talk we talk about length on our river because our fish don't get as heavy as uh, no. the, the right. lake. Well, we're, lake we're kay kayakers mostly, and most of our tournaments are length anyway. So yeah, we're much uh, more comfortable with length than weight. Uh, at least I am anyway. So. And I also look at it this way is a 20 inch fish is a 20 inch fish, you know, you know, in the spawn time, yeah, it could be five pounds, but in, in the summertime, that fish could only be three and a half pounds, right. but it's still a 20 inch fish. Right. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's right. still the same fish, you know? And so, you know, a lot of people want to talk about weight. Well, it's just, it just depends on the time of year that you catch those fish, right? you right. know? And so well, we caught one this week that I swear it looked like a sunfish. I think it was just under three pounds and it was, 15 inches wow. <laughs> yeah go wow. on my instagram it does it looks like it it looks like it swallowed another fish <laughs> <laughs> nice. so but they get that way this time of year you know that yep. fish there you know in the summertime it's going to be skinny you know it's just not mm -hmm. it's you know once it dry, it was full of eggs and you know and, and they and you know our females start producing eggs in december so they eat all winter that's why they have to eat in the wintertime. They don't go into a dormant. They don't go dormant like the largemouth do because they, they mm. spawn much earlier. Largemouth spawn at a higher, uh, you know, a higher temperature. Smallmouth, I mean, we'll probably have spawn in two weeks. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's early, but I mean, they do spawn every year in late March, early April. Mm -hmm. So. Very All nice. right, man. Well, uh, John, thanks again so much for coming on. Um, hey, no problem. Thank you. Guys, be sure and go uh, and check out uh, Snaggler Tackle. Um, definitely have a lot of cool things. They're, the spinner baits are beautiful. I, like just the color combinations I picked up at the outdoor show. I'm like, uh, they're just, you don't see them around like that. So, and um, just. That's uh, the advantage of a custom, a custom made company is, you know, is what happens when you get like a large manufacturer they only do eight colors. Yep. You know, right. when you're custom, I can, I can do smaller batches of stuff, you know, make some, you know, or, you know, I even make custom colors for people say, who used to go out and say, oh, I had this color that I fished with 20 years ago that Stanley made, you know, it was a Stanley wedge that they don't make anymore and I can't find it anywhere. Well, give me one. I'll mock it up, and make it for you. Nice. And yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the type of, you know, uh, a service that you get from a custom guy right right, right absolutely well and even even just trying like you said to match the hatch when how many other uh spinnerbaits uh makers have one that matches a a a, a, a nace or the black black nose dace or is right that, like, you know that's they not don't even know what a black nose dace is <laughs> exactly exactly so um you know that's when when it comes to that i mean that's something that's really awesome that you do so um, guys, definitely go on and check that out. Um, John, thanks again for coming oh, on the you. show. And uh, definitely uh, maybe have to have you back on and pick your brain uh, about some other uh, uh, river tactics, you know. And uh, I'm going to see if I can find some time to get out on the water with you, too. And, uh, you know. Definitely. Uh, summertime. Definitely, uh, we can get yeah. out in the summertime because I'm not – 
I actually take four months and I go fishing. Uh, I go to Maine. I'm, I'm going to Thousand Islands this year. I'm talking. Oh. I'm talking. <laughs> we're talking about uh, going down to Tennessee and fishing the uh, tail race of Vale Hollow and jet okay. boats because they they Ooh. don't fish down. The, they don't fish the rivers down there. Hmm. It's really interesting. Is there's so many lakes down there they neglect the rivers, and I think there's some big river oh. smallmouth in those places. Ooh, well, the yeah. supposedly the the world record smallmouth came out of Dale Hollow, is what they say. Yeah, so, you know, but that's, that's why. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll be down there in a few weeks, um, so we'll 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 look for it. See yeah, definitely on. catch that thirteen pounder. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so excited. <laughs> All right, John. Well, thanks again right. so much. Um, guys, this has been another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. You guys have a good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Stopped. <laughs>